insightful podcasts by informative hosts. Insights into Things, a podcast network. Welcome to Insights into Teens, a podcast series exploring the issues and challenges of today's youth. Your hosts are Joseph and Madison Whalen, a father and daughter team making their way through the challenges of the teenage years. Welcome to Insights into Teens. This is episode 148. Mental Health Stigma and Teens. I'm your host, Joseph Whalen, and my intelligent and caring co-host, Madison Whalen. Hi, everyone. How you doing today, Maddie? Uh, fine, I guess. Wow, that's a stunning endorsement uh, there. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Any issues we need to discuss? Uh, mainly just, you know, the typical physical stuff, you know. Uh, I see, I see, understood. Anything exciting at school this week? You did uh, have your band practice canceled this week, so that was interesting. Yeah. Anything else? Um, I had turned in my math project, that was pretty cool. Now, when do you get graded on that? Um, probably after the 27th, because that's when everything... Everyone's is due, like you turn it in before. Oh, okay. So tell us about it, because this was an interesting little project you did. I wish we had a copy of it. I didn't think I'd take a picture of it. True. Um, basically, it was supposed to be based on a certain geop- geometry um, topic we had discussed, and I'd gotten special parallelograms. Right. Um, so basically, I had to talk about the rhombus, the rectangle, and the square. And what did you theme yours on? SpongeBob. And you did a really good job. I, I was I was very impressed with your final product. I really was. Yeah, I was actually pretty impressed as well. Hopefully you get a good grade on it. I think you deserve it. Thanks. So, but that is not what we're talking about today. What we are talking about today is that many of our podcasts often conclude with the suggestion to seek professional help if the techniques we discuss on the show aren't effective to you. The actual act of getting that level of help can itself be a challenge. There's long been a stigma surrounding mental health, both in teens and in adults. Thankfully, that has gotten significantly better over the years, but taking that first step to seek help is challenging, and that's what we're going to be discussing on this week's episode of Insights into Teens. But before we do that, I would like to invite our listening and viewing audience to subscribe to the podcast. You can find audio versions of this podcast listed as Insights into Teens, and video as well as audio can be found listed as Insights into Things for all of our podcasts. And we can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you get a podcast these days. I'd also invite our audience to give us your feedback. Tell us how we're doing Give us your show suggestions. Relate your personal stories. If you've got any personal stories related to the topics that we talk about, we'd love to hear about them. You can email us at comments at insightsintothings.com. You can find us on Twitter at insights underscore things. We're on facebook.com 
slash insights into things podcast. We're also at Instagram.com slash insights into things. We can get links to all those and more on our official website at www.insightsintothings.com. Are we ready? I guess we have to be. Wow, I love that confidence there. Thanks. Here we go. So this research comes to us from a website called destinationsforteens.com. And the, the first question is really, what is mental health stigma? They say sometimes it can be difficult to spot symptoms of mental health conditions, especially in teens and young adults. While mood changes are characteristic of maturation and puberty, mental health disorders create invasive uh, symptoms that interfere with your daily life. Without proper treatment, mental health disorders can cause disabling symptoms, which can impact academics, social life, and relationships. Mental health stigma in teens is an unhealthy combination, as fears about reaching out for help can outweigh a teen's desire to get better. Conditions like depression can cause you to isolate yourself from friends and loved ones, while anxiety can make it difficult to interact with others. 20% of teens and adolescents struggle with a mental health disorder. Some of the most common mental health disorders that affect teens include depression and major depression disorder, anxiety disorders, mood disorders, PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, and eating disorders. Mental health stigma and teens struggling with their emotional well-being can create significant barriers to recovery. Since many mental health conditions can get worse without treatment, neglecting emotional needs can make it difficult to live a healthy life. Struggling with depression, for instance, can lead to losing interest in hobbies and avoiding friends and family members. Teens may also struggle with communicating their emotions, especially if intense emotions occur without a desired cause, a director cause. Other times, mental health stigma and teens experiencing anxiety can make it hard to reach out for help. Things like expressing difficult emotions or asking for help can trigger anxiety symptoms, which is why it's important to offer support to your teen if they're struggling to find ways to cope with overwhelming or troubling emotions. So, it's worth noting that as a kid, as when I was your age, mental health really was not something we talked about. It wasn't in the forefront. It wasn't something that that really people addressed to kids unless the kids were, and I'm going to use a probably an insensitive term, but this is what we refer to them, they were disturbed. You know, these were the kids who were the ones that they were unable to stay in class with, with the rest of the group. So they would wind up going off into their own separate study groups. And and usually, it was these groups were for kids who had developmental disorders. Um, there was very little talk about some of the more common things that everyone goes through, depression, anxiety, and stuff like that. Um, so when you found out that a friend of yours or someone you went to school with was going for some kind of counseling, the immediate thought was, oh, well, well, you know, he's he's got 
real problems. You know, he's, you know, whatever, whatever the, the term was at the time, you know, he's all, oh, he, he needs to be medicated or, or they're going to put him in the funny farm. You know, it was all stuff like that because nobody really understood it. And I've noticed nowadays that there's a lot more, at least if not understanding it, discussion about it. What's your impression of how kids your age actually deal with these kind of mental health issues? Because depression wasn't a mental health issue. If you were suffering from depression when I was a kid, you were just sad and you had to get over it. And that's really not the case. How is it, how is it nowadays in your eyes? Well, now I kind of see it as a lot of people tend to speak out about it or they tend to say, like, they have something else going on. And you also tend to see a lot more of the mental, of mental health disorders getting identified and people relating that they have that. You have people nowadays coming out and saying they directly have depression or they are getting counseling. And like, it's, I definitely think it's a lot more open than, especially when it was, when you were a kid. Um, everyone's a little more, open about it um and even if some people don't entirely understand it again like you said people do discuss it more often and the topic of therapy has been a larger topic in fact the largest teen topic we were going to discuss on this podcast at the very start was depression and like um i also it was around the time that i was also kind of having a lot of mental changes and nowadays people do speak out about it and it's said that teens do go through this but that it can lead to something more serious later on yeah and that's kind of the take that i have on it now is is it's treated like almost like it's a physical ailment which really it is it has to be taken seriously like that and it has to be treated you have to look at the symptoms. You have to figure out the cause of it, just as if you had an illness or an injury or something like that. And to me, at least, it's a relief to see that people are being a little bit more clinical about it. And it's less, oh, that's like my crazy uncle. We don't talk about him because he's in the institution type thing, where it's like it was a black mark before, where you tried not to talk about it. You didn't want to address it. It was it was that skeleton in the closet that nobody wanted to address because, oh my goodness, a family member of mine has a mental illness. That means the whole family's going to go crazy. Like, that was really kind of the stigma that we had when I was a kid. So you didn't address it. And nowadays, it's because it's treated clinically, there's a lot more support out there. There's a lot more help out there. And that's, that's sort of what I want to talk about today. But there's still some stigmas. What are some of the common types of stigma that, that are still out there? So this comes from a website called stonewaterrecovery.com. At the core of stigma is a sense of feeling that someone is different from you and that the difference is negative. Common types of public mental health stigmas surrounding adolescents men adolescent mental health include the misconception that teenagers have nothing to be depressed or anxious about. Teenagers are at a phase in life when they are discovering a lot about themselves. While they might not have gone through a lot in life, that is not reason enough to assume that they have nothing to be depressed about. 
In any case, teens have to deal with school, friendships, relationships, and even part-time jobs. Because teens experience emotions more intensely than adults, making them susceptible to de- ma- wait. Besides, teen- <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. Besides, teens experience emotions more intensely than adults, making them susceptible to developing depression. Another uh, misconception that they have is that teens with mental health disorders act a certain way just for attention. It can be easy to conclude that a teen is faking a mental disorder and seeking attention. In the real sense, the mental problem may not get the kind of attention that they want. After all, the prevalence of mental health stigmas and misconceptions among teens is less likely to make a healthy teenager pretend to have a mental disorder. There's also the misconception that teens with mental health disorders are prone to violence. It is possible for someone struggling with mental health disorders to be violent. However, it does not mean that all of those who suffer from mental health conditions are unquestionably violent. And the last one they talk about is another misconception. I think, really, this is probably one of the biggest ones that's thrown around by parents these days, and it's one you have to be careful about. And that's that teens don't suffer from mental health disorders. It's just moodiness because they're teens. Due to hormonal changes in adolescence, teens are often moody. However, this does not mean that teenagers cannot suffer from mental disorders. When a teenager exhibits behaviors beyond normal teenage moodiness, it could be a sign of a mental disorder. So it's one of those things where you, yeah, it could be moodiness, but you really need to keep an eye on it and make sure that that's all it is. That doesn't mean you just leave them go off to to do their own thing. You kind of have to be there to ask, make sure everything's okay. And sometimes you have to be that annoying parent and kind of feel out the details and see how it is. And what I think is kind of interesting is that all four of these really are misconceptions. So the stigmas that a lot of people have about seeking mental help, you know, are misconceptions. These are, these are things, and some of these are carryovers from when I was a kid, you know, that they're not real. It's not, the stigmas aren't based on reality. They're based on some kind of fictitious image we have of either the perception of the teen or the perception of their behavior. What do you think? Do you think any of these stigmas are, are real or do you think that, you know, they're things that, that need to be overcome? I mean, yeah, This a lot of these are things that really need to be overcome, like saying that teens don't have anything to be depressed or anxious about. Well, the amount of stress they get from school, the stress they can get from their parents, and just the overwhelming feeling of them discovering a lot about the world and kind of feeling like a lot, and kind of finally learning a lot more of the dark sides about the world. And again, with them being compl- with teens being really very emo- having much more intense emotions than adults yeah you can- it's that one really isn't true because there's a lot of that teens are anxious about they're anxious about their future they're told this is around the time where they start to finally decide who they are as a person and obviously that would end up causing them to be really anxious they start learning a lot more about the world and realize there's a lot of bad in the world that has kind of been shielded from them until this point. Yeah, it's interesting that you mention that. 
because we did. One of the big topics that we had talked about, one of the, I guess, hard-hitting topics that we talked about early on, was depression. And after we went through depression, we did a series of a bunch of other ones. And I think we just kind of discovered that your depression was, if nothing else, the result of anxiety from various pressures that you were going through at the time, compounded by the mood swings that you were having when you were going through those hormonal changes. So those stresses exist. And they exist for every teen out there. Some teens put more stress on themselves than others. You know, you have some teens who are perfectionists, and they put pressure on themselves because of that. You have teens who are overachievers, who feel that there's a demand for them to produce more. Then you have teens who are the ones that are involved in everything. You know, you know the kids who are, Every every season, they have a different event or multiple events, extracurricular activities that they, you know, participate in. And they're getting straight A's, and they're on honor roll, and they're doing, you know, five other things. All of these things, and it's not, it's not bad. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. But all of these things generate their own types of stressors that, that kids have, are susceptible to. What are some of the stresses that you're dealing with right now, let's say? Um, well, I guess it's a lot of mine is the perfectionist aspect. I stress about getting perfect days. I stress when I have a test and I don't know if I'm going to get a hundred on it. And anything less than that, I don't feel like I did well enough. Um, I constantly put pressure on myself to get those straight A's, get the best grades I can. And when I don't, I, I, I just beat, I completely beat myself up about it and I feel horrible. Yeah. And every one of those things that you put on yourself is compounded by the fact that school is putting demands on you. Mommy and daddy are putting demands on you. Your friends are putting demands on you. Your extracurricular activities are, and all this stuff causes stress. And stress itself leads to mental disorders. So that's a real danger, and, and we can't just dismiss it by saying, kids, well, you don't have to put food on the table, and you don't have to put a roof over your head. And it's like, okay, you have different stresses than I do as an adult. It doesn't make them any less of a danger of mental health. So parents have to kind of recognize that, that even though they're different stresses, there's still stresses that can cause mental health issues. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to talk, come back and talk about how mental health disorders are treated. We'll be right back. For over seven years, the Second Sith Empire has been the premier community guild the online game Star Wars The Old Republic. With hundreds of friendly and helpful active members, a weekly schedule of nightly events, annual guild meet and greets, and an active community both on the web and on Discord. The Second Sith Empire is more than your typical gaming group. We're family. Join us on the Star Forge server for nightly events, 
such as operations, flashpoints, world boss hunts, Star Wars trivia, guild lottery, and much more. Visit us on the web today at www.thesecondsithempire.com. Welcome back to Insights into Teens. Today we're talking about mental health stigma in teens. And now we're going to talk about how mental health disorders are treated. And this comes to us from, pardon me if I botch this, BreeCollegeBehavioral.com. Sure, that sounds good. It's better than I would have done. <laughs> All right. So when you notice symptoms of a mental health disorder, early treatment is essential. Much like a physical ailment you might suffer from, the first step of the treatment process is obtaining a diagnosis, after which the focus becomes centered on developing an effective treatment plan. Like medical conditions, it can take time to find the right combination of therapies to alleviate and reduce symptoms of a mental health condition. There are different types of treatments to mental health disorders, from counseling and behavioral therapy to prescribe medication and alternative herbal approaches. It all depends on your diagnosis. Understand that it may take a few attempts to discover which treatments work best. Mental health disorders are usually treated with both medication and therapy. Therapeutic techniques like cognitive and dialectical behavioral therapy work by helping you identify and change negative thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Understanding triggers is another important part of recovery. Triggers can be people, places, or things that aggravate symptoms. Learning how to cope with them healthily is central to mental health treatment. Holistic therapies like medication, meditation, and yoga provide mood... No. (laughs) They might provide mood, but they also improve mood. (laughs) Improve mood and decrease stress, making them an excellent way to handle triggers healthily. So I want to take a quick aside here. Um... One of the things that a lot of people don't know is is who to go to. So a lot of times people talk about, oh, I have a therapist that I talk to, or uh, I have a friend who's a psychiatrist, or you know the company offers a psychologist. And there's a there's confusion about what these people, what roles these people do. And I did a little quick research that I threw together here that I just wanted to go over very quickly. And what's the difference between a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and a therapist? Sounds like the start of a joke, right? Yeah. Psychiatrist and a psychiatrist will walk into a bar and... Psychiatrist and a psychiatrist. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, and therapists. Oftentimes, many people confuse these terms, frequently assuming they're synonymous. However, they all mean different things, but people in these professions strive for the same outcome to improve people's lives. A therapist is more of a general term and refers to anyone who has had some level of training in psychotherapy. This can include psychologists, master-level counselors, or psychiatrists, to name a few. It's important to know the term therapist is not regulated by any type of licensing or credentialing board, so anyone can call themselves a therapist. Listed below, blah, 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 some helpful tips. So, a licensed master therapist 
or licensed master level therapist, is someone who also has an advanced degree in psychology, and typically they spend about two additional years in graduate school to earn their master's degree once their undergraduate degree is complete. The advanced degrees can include specialties as a master's degree in clinical psychology, counseling psychology, marriage, etc., etc. A psychologist. A psychologist is someone who has an advanced degree, a PhD or or, uh, physical degree, whatever, in psychology, specifically a doctoral degree in clinical counseling or uh, school psychology. This advanced degree typically consists of six to seven additional years of formal education after a bachelor's degree is completed. Most psychologists receive the degree from a school accredited by the American Psychological Association because such accreditation is a requisite for state licenses. Many psychologists conduct research and or provide psychotherapy. They can diagnose disorders or problems independently in their clients, and the additional years of education and training often result in more experience with advanced top-of-the-line interventions for clients. And the last one is a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist is someone who also has an advanced degree, but they went to medical school for the degree to learn how to prescribe medications for psychiatric conditions. While psychiatrists are not expected to provide psychotherapy due to their scope of practice, many are able to provide very brief supportive psychotherapy to their clients depending on the training history. So you go, you kind of, it's a graduated scale. So you go from a therapist who could really be anybody, just a good listener, I guess, is really what you're looking for there, to a licensed master level therapist so that they're, they have a level of accreditation. And then you go to a psychologist who's got even more training and experience. And then a psychiatrist is someone who has the training, but has the ability to prescribe medications for these conditions. I just wanted to put that out there because this was always something that kind of confused me and always had me scratching my head. Questions? No, I think I'm good. Okay. Back to the show. Yay. (laughs) So stifling the stigma with teen therapy. Anxiety finds us all at some point or another. For children and teens... This can be even more disruptive to their everyday lives. Teens experience heightened emotions regularly throughout adolescence and while growing up. Today more than ever, teens are constantly surrounded by their peers, whether in person or on their phones. Socially, teens are more involved with their friends constantly through the use of the internet and social media. This can add a lot of extra stress when it comes to fitting in during these formative years. School can provide its own host of stressors. These include class presentations, overly long standardized tests, group projects, online Zoom meetings, and so much more. So, teen therapy as a solution. The stigmas that surround mental illness have existed as long as anyone can remember. However, more recent generations have been taking a stand to stamp out those stigmas in greater numbers. Today's teens tend to value mental well-being more than most of the generations that come before them, and I'm thankful for that because 
if I was trying to tackle some of these issues when I was a kid, but doing it as a parent, I would be completely out of touch with, with any ability to do anything for you at this point. So I'm very thankful for where we are today. Yeah. So, going with some statistics, more than one in five adults in the U.S. will experience mental illness. When it comes to teens, at least 17% will experience a mental health disorder. Over 50% of all lifetime mental illnesses begin by the age of 14. When it comes to teens experiencing mental illness, only 50% of those diagnosed get help in the form of treatment. So we all know that a large portion of teens are, are impacted by mental illness and that, from that portion, a smaller group is formally diagnosed. Additionally, of that group, only 50% actually find help and treatment. The question is, why are teens resistant to therapy? And I think the answer is, stigmas still exist, despite all the advancements that we've made. It turns out, despite efforts to remove stigmas around finding help for mental well-being, most teens are reluctant when it comes to treatment. A lot of teens feel reluctant to attend therapy sessions, even when encouraged by peers or family, because the understanding of therapy is still vague and stereotypical. When most of us think of therapy, we start to imagine a room with a long couch and an upright office chair where we sit with someone and they ask repeatedly, how did that make you feel? The truth is that meeting with a therapist is a vastly different experience, especially one trained to utilize up-to-date practices. Sometimes a teen's only experience comes from meeting with their school counselor. School counselors are a great resource for teens and can provide some really informative insight to parents who may be ready to seek help but aren't sure how to approach their parents. That all being said, a school counselor won't replace having a therapist to talk to on a regular basis. Aside from stigmas surrounding seeking care, teens today may also be more open with their friends about mental health. This can be good, but can also have some unexpected, neg unexpected negative consequences. On one hand, speaking about their experiences with depression and anxiety with people they feel get it can prove a sense of comfort and can provi can provide a sense of comfort and health. On the other hand, these friends may also not be in treatment and they may feel that if their friend doesn't need treatment, they then they shouldn't either. So the stigma of of the couch you know lay on the couch and he's going to ask questions and ask how it makes you feel and all that stuff that's very stereotypical what it really is is that counselors in order for you to get any benefit from a counselor or a therapist or a psychologist or whatever you have to be comfortable and you have to want to open up if if it's if they're pulling at you to get information out of you, you're never going to, to really get any benefit from it. So the idea is most of these people that you're going to go see are going to try to provide a comfortable environment, a comfortable place to sit. If you're uncomfortable, if you're sitting in a metal chair and you're fidgeting because you're uncomfortable, you're not going to want to talk about things. You're not going to want to solve problems. You're going to get annoyed, right? Mm -hmm. um, they'll gen usually provide some kind of gentle background 
music to relax you. They may have incense going. They may have fountains. You know, the typical things that that human beings key on to relax and to unwind and to not be stressed out. Everybody, well, most people, I don't want to say everybody, everyone that I know who goes to the doctors are nervous, always. White coat syndrome, that's what we like to call it. So when you go to see a therapist, we'll say, it's the same type of thing. You're going to walk in there. And you're going to be nervous. You're going to be tense. You're, you're, you're not going to want to open up. And their number one job there is to get you to calm down and to get you to feel comfortable and to get you to talk about things that you don't normally talk about. Because if you did, you wouldn't be in their office to begin with. Because a lot of times the things that you talk about with a counselor are things that, that you try to avoid because they're stressors or they depress you, or or whatever. There are things that, that people tend to push down to the, to the bottom of their emotional scale and not pay attention to them. But they're things that need to be dealt with. So the first thing a counselor is going to do is try to get you to calm down and relax and unwind. And, and your first session might have nothing to do with any of the issues that you're experiencing. It very well could just be, let's get to know each other. Let's get, let's have some common ground that we can work off of. Let's get you to the point that you can trust me. You understand that everything that we talk about here is in confidence. There's nothing to worry about. That's a lot of what they're doing right off the bat. And it's to overcome these stigmas because people walk in with these preconceptions of what a counselor is going to do. Now that's after kudos to these people. They've already taken that big step of going to see a counselor. A lot of people don't walk into a, a therapist's office the first time willing to open up. But the fact that they walked into that therapist's office is a huge win for them. So the counselors are generally going to be very gentle with you. They're going to, you're going to ease you into it. Nobody's sticking electrodes on you or sticking you with needles or any crazy stuff like that. They're there to help you. And... They're going to be a lot more gentle than your general practitioner is when they take your blood pressure and they're sticking this thing in, that thing in, taking your temperature and all that. So the experience of talking to a, a therapist is, is much less invasive than I think people realize. Um, you've talked to your school counselor. How, tell us a little bit about the experience, not the details, but the overall experience. How did you find it? Was it relaxing? Was it stressful? Was it scary? What, what did you find? Um, I was originally kind of not entirely willing to, um, because my main idea was just I was going to miss class. I, um, I didn't know, I didn't think I really needed it. I would just talk about it when I got home or something. But, um, when I first went in there, she was very inviting. She tried to get, she started getting some ground with me. We ended up, at some point, we ended up having a talk about how we are both left-handed, and yeah. both of us kind of had that common ground of, well, what that was. She even complimented my nails one time, and really, she got common ground with me, and I started to get more comfortable around her. And that, that's pretty much the same experience that I had when I went to the counselor the last time. You know, they, sit, they sat me down in a comfortable chair, and we just sat there, and, you know, we talked for the first session. We didn't talk about any of the issues, didn't talk about any of the problems, didn't talk about why I was there, really. 
it was just get to know me. And, and she was taking notes the whole time. And she would ask questions. I would make a statement and she would ask questions. And it was very conversational. It wasn't, I didn't feel like I was being psychoanalyzed or anything like that. I felt like I was having a conversation, you know? So I think it's important for people to understand that it's not a painful experience to go. And I think if people understood that and they overcame that initial stigma of going, once you go, chances are you're going to realize that most of those misconceptions that we talked about in the first segment are all falsehoods. You know, all the stuff, all the reasons people don't want to go, all the the bad feelings that people have about them, they will usually wind up evaporating after that first session. And then after that, you know, your next sessions after that can start to actually be therapeutic. You know, don't walk in there expecting to have a miracle happen on the first day because the first day that you go to talk to anybody that you don't know, I mean, you've never met these people before in your life probably, they need to sort of get a baseline and they need to get you to calm down and open up and to trust them. And once that happens, usually you'll see progress after that. But you have to be willing to. You know, just like if you go to the doctors, if if you're not willing to listen to what the doctor's telling you, you know, if you've got an illness and you're not going to take the medicine and you're not going to, you know, do the rest and, and sleep and do all the things that the doctor tells you to do, don't expect to get better. It's no different when you go to a counselor. They're going to they're gonna tell you what they think you need to do to get better. And you need to sort of take that advice. So we're going to take our last break here and we'll be right back. And we will talk about ways teens can ask for mental health. Help. (laughs) (laughs) Got to put the help on the end there. Otherwise, it seems kind of ambiguous. Yeah. (laughs) We'll be right back. into entertainment a podcast series taking a deeper look into entertainment and media our husband and wife team of pop culture fanatics are exploring all things from music and movies to television and fandom we'll look at the interesting and obscure entertainment news of the week we'll talk about theme park and pop culture news We'll give you the latest and greatest on pop culture conventions. We'll give you a deep dive into Disney, Star Wars, and much more. Check out our video episodes at youtube.com backslash insights into things. Our audio episodes at podcast.insightsintoentertainment.com or check us out on the web at insightsintothings.com. Welcome back to Insights into Teens. Today we're talking about mental health stigma and teens. And now we're going to discuss ways teens can ask for mental health help. Now you know why I almost missed the help at the end. Yeah, I can understand that. (laughs) And this comes to us from Talkspace.com. So when you're a teen experiencing mental health challenges, a major... A majority of the struggle for help is mustering the courage to actually ask for it. 
Unfortunately, there's still a lot of stigma surrounding mental illnesses, despite how common they are. In fact, 20% of teens ages 13 through 18 have some sort of mental health condition, and that's one in five teens. Still, the ever-present stigma can make it harder to ask for help or tell anybody about what you're going through because you might feel embarrassed or scared of what people might think of you. However, mental health conditions and life in general are tricky. When we're struggling, it can be really hard to overcome obstacles by ourselves. Sometimes we need a little extra help to get by and live our best lives. Here are some tips for teens seeking help with mental health. See, it helps if you put the help in front of it. Yes. Reach out to a trusted adult. I know it's scary, but one of the best things you can do is tell an adult what you're going through. It doesn't necessarily have to be a parent if you don't feel comfortable opening up to them just yet. You can reach out to a teacher, a coach, or other relative who you feel close to if you prefer. You also don't have to tell them all the details of what you're going through if you don't want to. You can simply start the dialogue by saying something like, Can I talk to you about some hard things I've been dealing with? Or, I've been having a really hard time lately, and I think I might want to go to a therapist. They'll be glad you reached out to them for help, and can support you in taking the next steps. If you're too shy to bring it up in person, you can send the person a text or write them a note or an email. You can also use school resources. Many high schools and middle schools have some kind of counselor, whether it be a guidance counselor, psychologist, or social worker. These professionals are trained to help students with any problems they might face. Their offices are safe spaces to discuss what you're going through. Ask to schedule an appointment to chat. Depending on the school, your counselor might recommend an outside therapist, or they might may be able to set up regular appointments to talk with you. Don't be shy when reaching out and asking them for help. It's literally their job to help students. You can also join a teen support group. Support groups and group therapy sessions can be really helpful to assist you in feeling less alone. In group settings like this, you'll meet other teens who are going through the same or similar things that you are. These groups will be hosted and moderated by a professional therapist or psychologist to keep everything safe and healthy. In these groups, you're not only getting help from mental health professionals, but also from peers who get it. You sh could also call a hotline or write in a chat. If you're feeling suicidal or like you want to hurt yourself, do not hesitate to call a hotline. Operators are trained to help people in crisis in crisis mode and help talk you through things when you feel like you're at a, a point of no return. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline is available and can be called 24-7. There are also specialized helplines for specific issues such as the National Eating Disorder Association's helpline and Love is Respect's helpline, which is for people in abusive relationships. If you're feeling too nervous to call to if you're too, feeling too nervous to talk out loud on the phone, you can use a chat service on your phone or computer, such as Crisis Text Line, where you can contact with a crisis counselor over text. All of these services are free and, co and confidential. However, these aren't long-term solutions and are not meant to provide you with a long-term treatment. 
Know that there's nothing to be ashamed of. Asking for help isn't something to be ashamed of or embarrassed of. In fact, you should be proud of yourself for asking for help because it means you're brave enough to take the first step in getting better and make a change in your life. If you were feeling sick with a bad cough, you wouldn't be ashamed to ask an adult to take you to the doctor, right? You simply feel something's wrong and you want to get to, uh, get help to feel better. Look at asking for mental health care the same way you'd look at seeing the doctor for a physical problem. Remember to help yourself too. One of the greatest things you can do for your mental health is to take good care of yourself, both emotionally and physically. You may be surprised at the positive effect that some lifestyle changes can have on you. For example, make sure you eat breakfast before school, exercise regularly, and get enough sleep. Staying away from drugs and alcohol is crucial. Also, to take care of yourself emotionally, make sure you treat yourself to some self-care. This can be something as simple as journaling about your feelings, taking a relaxing bath, or going for a run to, to clear your mind. Asking for help is the first step to overcoming your obstacles and facing your mental health issues head-on. You don't have to go through this alone. All you have to do is ask for help. One of the things we'll do is we'll put a, uh, a, a post-credit marker on the uh, podcast when we post it. And we'll put all those, the numbers for all those helplines on there for folks so that you actually have those. I meant to put those in here, and I never went back and looked up the numbers to include them in here. But I think really the gist of it is you need to ask for that help. You need to recognize you need the help, and you need the courage. It takes courage to ask for help. Anytime you need help for anything, whether it's mental health, a project for school, you know, lifting something, it doesn't really matter what it is. It always takes a certain level of courage to recognize that you can't do it yourself and that you need help. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and then we'll get your closing remarks. All right. We'll be right back. All right. So to everyone out there, I just wanted to say that while we have definitely gone a long way from most of the generations before us, there's still plenty of stigmas of mental health that we still need to combat. I know when I, when the topic first came up for us, I was very hesitant to seek out therapy because I didn't originally feel like it was something that I should have had because I didn't think it was something, it, because I thought it was for, it was really when it got to its worst and thanks to one of my counselors helping me realize that well go if you had if you broke your leg you'd go to the doctor so basically all we're trying to do is get people to maybe have help them have the courage to seek out help when they need it because really there's not going to be harm in trying to get help absolutely very sage words, as always. Thank you. And, I, and I'll say, you know, when I was growing up, mental health was something where you didn't talk about it. You just grinned and bared. If you felt bad about something, you just, you got over it. And, and, and physical injuries were the same way. Oh, you fell down and scraped your leg? Well, all right, just walk it off. You'll be fine. And society, for, fortunately, has evolved quite a bit, you know, in the 30-some in the years 
since I was at that level too. So fortunately, things are much better now. When I when I went to the therapist, I always had a combative attitude when I first started until I got in there and realized that it was for the better. So, But that was all we had today. Before we do go, I want to invite once again our listening and viewing audience to subscribe to the podcast. You can find us listed, our audio podcast listed as Insights into Teens. You can find both audio and video podcasts of all the shows, uh, network shows on as Insights into Things. And we're pretty much anywhere you get a podcast. Pandora, Castro, Stitcher, Podbean, Buzzsprout, etc. I would also invite you to write in, give us your feedback. Um, if you're having issues and you think you need help, you know, reach out to us and we'll certainly point you in the right direction. We'll be, you know, happy to help you out any way we can. You can email us at comments at insightsintothings.com. We're on Twitter at twitter.com slash insights underscore things. We stream on Twitch five days a week at twitch.tv slash insights into things. You can find high res versions of all of our videos on YouTube at youtube.com slash insights into things. And you can find links to all these and much more on our official website at www.insightsintothings.com. And you. And don't forget to check out our other two podcasts, Insights into Entertainment, hosted by you and Mommy, and Insights into Tomorrow, our monthly podcast, hosted by you and my brother Sam. And that's it. Another one in the books. Bye, everyone. Bye.